we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and we are discussing the city of Buffalo's University District with Catherine Franco, who is running for the University District Common Council seat. Catherine, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. There's a lot to discuss when it comes to running for office, but I want to talk about the University District. When folks ask you about the University District, what do you say to them? When they ask me about the University District, I let them know that I love it, for one. Um, It's a great place to live. There's so many different things that are happening in the University District, so many different amenities and assets. Um, So I'd first just share my absolute love of it. But many people know about it um, for so many different things, mainly the University, so UB South Campus. What else do you love about the university district? Um, I I actually used to live in the university district. <laughs> seems like eons ago, um, but yeah, it was it was a great place to live. There, it was it was diverse. But what 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 made what made you want to say this is this is my place? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question because I think that it wasn't so much that I said I want to make this my place. It really had to do with Buffalo's housing market and how we've seen that shift a lot of people from different parts of the city into other parts of the city. So I actually grew up on the Lower West Side of Buffalo. Um, and when I was looking for a house, because I had a very terrible landlord, um, I actually wasn't able to afford anything in my neighborhood. We saw the West Side, Lower West Side in particular, gentrify very quickly. And so I found a beautiful home in the University District, and I loved it, and I love where I live. Do you worry about gentrification in university district oh most definitely and I worry about it not because I think it's going to happen as in the future because we're seeing it happen right now and it's been happening for a while how do you I don't want to say how do you curb that because it's is as you say it's happening right now but how do you work to keep the people that have lived in the university district for decades if not generations to keep their homes, keep their keep their lives there. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because I think that that's a huge thing that we are seeing um, everyday people who are living in their homes struggle with, right? One of the things that I have to say is do not sell your home. If you're a homeowner, don't sell your home. Um, I know that me, myself, I've gotten knocks on my doors, letters in the mail that say, we'll buy your house any condition. Um, if you are planning to stay in the city of Buffalo, if you sell, there's really no place to go because the prices are so crazy. So the big thing is don't sell your home. Um, it's one of the biggest ways that we in America build wealth and are able to pass it on to the next generation. So don't sell. And then the other thing 
thing that I'm really thinking about, particularly in this race for university district, is thinking about other ways to be able to keep people in their homes, making sure that we have access to repair programs so that people can maintain that stability so they, they can maintain their homes and that sort of thing. That's been a huge thing as we've seen um, not only housing costs go up, but the cost of repairs go mm-hmm. up and that sort of thing. Um, so we want to make sure that there's protections in place that we're actually creating policy um, and creating programming to keep people in their homes. And just to get an identity for folks who are unfamiliar with the district, what neighborhoods are we talking about that reside in University District? Oh my goodness, so many different neighborhoods. So we have the University Heights, um, which people refer to often. We have um, Ken Bailey. Um, we have all the way down to Bailey and Delavan. I mean, this district for me really kind of spans a large portion of the east side. 14215 is the largest zip code that we have, but we have 14215, 14214. And for me, the district really kind of epitomizes the Main Street divide that we have here in Buffalo. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that everyone knows what that is but for those that don't buffalo is so deeply segregated that west of maine and east of maine have sort of very different not necessarily makeups um but you see stark differences when you sort of travel west or east of main street right and so that kind of because the university district kind of is well it's mostly east of main street but Mm -hmm. there is that little piece right over main street shout out to flower street by the way that's where i used to live (laughs) but what what's the type of vibe that the university district brings because we talk about you know you live in the city you know certain certain neighborhoods have their certain vibes that we always talk about that what's the university district vibe this is such a great question that i have never been asked before so it depends because the district is sort of so big the vibe really depends i feel like um my favorite thing is the summertime um i get to sit out on my little stoop i am people watching i'm talking to all my neighbors they're coming down the street it's just like it really is sort of um the community and i did quote unquote finger quotes um because it really is about like you're always yelling like hey to somebody that you know um And that's maybe not every place in the district. It depends on where you are, but that's how it is where I am. (laughs) Give me another positive about the district. Oh, my gosh. Another positive as if there's not so many. (laughs) Um, I love the district in part because we have great um, food. We also have great just small businesses generally, but there's so much good food that is so close by. I can walk to it. I mean, that's what Buffalo is known for, and the district does not disappoint when it comes to that. You mentioned small business, small businesses, Mm -hmm. and I've got I've actually got two friends who are barbers who who have um, opened barbershops on Main Street. They're actually like a block away from each other. Uh, Scoot and Trey. Hey, what's up? is, is it important to to uplift younger folks who are who who are looking to open businesses, especially on Main Street in that strip, you know, right by the South Campus um, and a little further down the street, um, keeping that vibrancy on that section and that section of Main Street's got to be important. 
Yeah, and I'm going to extend that even to Bailey, like making sure that those two corridors are so strong with our small businesses. That's what makes it what it is, right? That's what makes our district, for me, so fantastic. You know, on Bailey and on Main Street, we have businesses that have been in business for decades, um, and it's fantastic. So to see sort of diversity in businesses, the ability to not only support our young entrepreneurs, but maybe our um, more mature, again, finger quotes, um, entrepreneurs, whoever is coming into the game, like having a small business is not easy. Like it is always about what you, what is the next step? How are you getting access to resources and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So making sure that we can support by patronizing, making sure that we can support by connecting to those resources is critical. And having that, as you said, vibrancy is beautiful. And we will, uh, we'll circle back to Bailey Avenue in a little bit. Um, now, what stands out to you as, as problems that residents of the district face? Yeah. Um, so housing is a big thing, and it's not necessarily unique to the university district. Um, right. What is unique is that we have a lot of students um, in our area, um, but the housing generally, not just in regards to students, but the fact that, you know, I think that the part of the city that we're in has sort of seen this wave of gentrification and displacement a little bit slower than the rest of the city. And so we're really grappling with that right now, where we're seeing rents that are increasing dramatically. You can still find maybe $900 rents, but that's a lot still for people. But Mm -hmm. that's still going upwards to over a thousand. The highest that I've heard is 1400, which sounds absolutely wild. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. And the conditions of the housing is not really changing either. So you're having these really high prices for housing that isn't necessarily safe and it is not affordable. So that's a huge thing. Um, And finding um, rents, places to rent has just been difficult. Places to buy housing across the board is just a big, big issue. Now, how can you as a member of a common council have an impact on this oh my gosh I was waiting for you to ask (laughs) so I'm really excited because there's a lot of different things we see things at the state level that we can support like good cause eviction which can be incredibly polarizing the one thing that I think is really exciting about it though is that it keeps in mind um, our small landlords which here in Buffalo we have so many of them right Mm -hmm. because we are a city of duplexes that's what I remember growing up in when I was Um, a kid um, and our landlord lived downstairs that was normal and that was typical and that still is the case so making sure that we have good cause eviction so that if there's anything in the lease you will still be able to evict somebody right if they break the contract of the lease for non-payment things like that but it protects renters in situations where there are extreme rent hikes or if there are um, no real justification for why somebody is being kicked out that is not related to the contract. So that's just one small thing. Um, And also thinking about how we enforce what's already on the books. So looking at proactive rental inspections, right? That was something that was passed a few years back, um, making sure that we have enough enough inspectors to be able to handle some of what's going on making places safe we've had a few fires in our district mm-hmm. um, actually really close to where I live and I think and I wonder oftentimes if there had been sort of this proactive rental inspection would would things have been caught would this be a way to prevent some of these things 
You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. Tom Sonio White here with Catherine Franco, who is running for the University District Common Council seat this year. Let's get a little bit into your background. You said you are from the Lower West Side. You have degrees in social work and, and public health. Obviously, two areas of great importance for you. Wow. Yes, they are. So I think that it is both sort of this background in social work and public health that helps me to think about um, this role as a council member and think about the issues holistically, right? Thinking about, particularly when we were talking about the housing issues, not just thinking about how do we protect our renters, but how do we protect our small landlords, right? Mm -hmm. We saw that with the um, eviction moratorium that many of our small landlords really suffered. And that's not who we're going after, right? We want to make sure that slumlords, that out-of-town investors who don't care about our community in the same way that our small landlords do, those are the folks that we're holding accountable, that are creating harm in our communities. Um, And so that's sort of the perspective that I come from. Also thinking about public safety as a public health concern. Right. We want to make sure that people are able to have incredible quality of life, no matter what zip code they live in, no matter what side of our city they live in. Um, And that's that's part of the lens that I bring to this race and that I'll bring to the council. And you so you would say your upbringing would has prepared you for leadership this moment. Oh, my gosh. My upbringing and not just sort of my educational background. um, I was really lucky to have amazing parents who, although we grew up poor, which I didn't realize until I was in school and then comparing myself to other students, um, my parents did a really fantastic job at utilizing public amenities, right? So we grew up on the Lower West Side, LaSalle Park, um, no longer LaSalle Park, Um, was our closest park and we would go there all the time we would go there for the fireworks they used to have fireworks down at LaSalle Park um, for the 4th of July let's bring that back yeah (laughs) so much let's utilize our public parks for that reason I'm happy to to push that forward Um, we would go down there just to fish all these different things just walk around use the playgrounds and I want to see more of that being able to have more of those sort of resources and amenities in our neighborhoods. You know, in the university district, we have McCarthy Park. One thing that is lacking, though, is we don't have any shade in that park. And it seems like such a small thing. But imagine having young children and going to the park and there's no place for them to sort of get out of the sun, Mm -hmm. to rest and relax and to recoup. Where does public transit, uh, where does public transit uh you know find a place here with with you know public parks amenities what about public transit yeah how does it not find a place there's so yeah. many things um i find that and this comes sort of with the background as well thinking about social work and public health there's always this idea of intersectionality right, right. that we have lives that are not just one thing and that um, issues are not just single based, right? They're always connected with other things. So if you're gonna talk about um, connecting resources, improving resources, increasing them, then you have to talk about transportation. You have to talk about how um, we make sure that we're not taking away 
away bus stops, um, that they are actually accessible for people in the different places that they're going for their jobs, whether it be downtown or outside of the city, um, ensuring that they are running on time and that sort of thing. And this is where I look to sort of experts in the community who are always doing, who are already doing this work, mm-hmm. like Buffalo Transit Riders United. So looking at Be True, um, looking at their different initiatives and that sort of thing is one of the things that's going to be helpful for me. And that's how I plan to do a lot of these things is there's already folks doing so much of the work that we want to see done. And they're working with, um, if not led by, people who are most impacted by those issues. Exactly. So we've got the solutions there. We just need to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Well, one issue related to the university uh, district that keeps popping up is Bailey Avenue. Um, it was the scene of a protest during the summer of 2020 as an example of poor infrastructure on Buffalo's east side, potholes galore, broken sidewalks, and, and yeah, and and no identifiable car lanes. What would you like to see happen with Bailey Avenue? Oh, my goodness. Um, So this is a huge thing. You talk about these no identifiable car lanes. That would have been some of the easiest lift to me um, to just do some striping. Um, It was just two days ago, three days ago, there was another car accident Mm -hmm. on Bailey. We've seen so many fatal accidents on Bailey Avenue, and it's just... It's heartbreaking, um, also because some of the solutions are easy. So we could have striped. I know that there is a plan right now for sort of um, a Bailey streetscape, so a revamp and that sort of thing. One of the big issues, though, is that um, the current council member, uh, there was a proposition or a suggestion of bike lanes. And one of the things is that oftentimes bike lanes can signal, particularly for disinvested communities, that this means that we are going to see further displacement. Right. One of the things that I think, though, is that this would be an amazing opportunity to talk about how we have a large portion of people, particularly in the 14215 district, who use bikes as their form of transportation because they don't have cars, they're not using them. So this provides an added safety infrastructure, plus it also is an opportunity for the roads to be a little bit narrower, for us as drivers to go a little bit slower and increase the safety for the schools that are there on Bailey when Mm -hmm. we have those crosswalks. So for our kids, for everyday folks who are going and utilizing the shops there on Bailey. So I think that bike lanes is actually a good thing as long as we make sure to um, talk about it in a way that makes sense and make sure that it's meant for the people who have been using bikes all the time on Bailey anyways. When you talk with university district residents, what is the sense you are getting on where the district is heading? So in this moment, um, and you just saw me get so excited, nobody else did. (laughs) (laughs) So it's such a strange thing right now. I think that, um, not I think, I know, I've been knocking on doors. I have very bruised knuckles. Um, (laughs) To me, they are my war wounds. People have been really excited for the direction of the district, and I think it's because in this moment, we have a choice. Um, Typically, our our races, whether council or otherwise, go uncontested. And so I think that people are feeling very, very hopeful that change is actually going to happen. And part of that is because, you know, we've been continuing to... Um, kind of hedge our bets on the same sort of um, decisions and decision makers. 
And I think that people are really excited to see something else happen and for us to um, have an opportunity to make a choice that is so different than what the typical is. So there's been a lot of excitement and people are excited um, to hear about things like participatory budgeting, to pull down power um, from government and bring it to the people and that sort of thing. And, And that's what I've been talking about with people on the doors. And people are really ready to be like, yeah, it's my taxpayer money. I want to decide how to spend it. What's the difference between taking power from up top and bringing it down low than taking the power that's down below mm-hmm. and bringing it up top? Can I you love can you so can much. you can you do both? Yeah, you can most definitely do both. So I think that there is um, a necessity to do both, especially because of the systems and the society that we currently live in, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a government. Um, we are not in the stages of revolution. And so we have a government. So there has to be this idea, or at least how I view it, this idea of co-governance, that the government is governing with the people, not simply for, not simply in an ivory tower. And that's how I plan to govern, co-governance. So that's the idea of pulling power down to the people. But I think that that also means that you have to realize and respect that the people have power in and of themselves, right? Right. And so having organizing efforts, grassroots efforts that are already happening on the ground, that's part of looking to the experts um, who are impacted by issues, um, looking to see what's happening. You talked about the protests that happened on Bailey. That's people power in action. And so I have a deep reverence for for that. Um, And I absolutely acknowledge and believe that we as the people have power. Um, And for me, this race is one of the ways in which I'm kind of actualizing and demonstrating that. But I am absolutely all about people power and making sure that that grassroots organizing continues to happen while we continue to pull power down. Are there policies working in other cities, either in the state or other parts of the country that you feel could work in Buffalo and more specifically in your district? Oh my gosh. So this is such a basic one and I kind of touched on it a little bit. I named it at least. So talking about participatory budgeting, we've actually seen this happen in a number of places, right? Um, And what it is, is it is providing a process, a democratic process for everyday people, residents of a district, jurisdiction, however, to make decisions about projects um, and money our taxpayer money and where we want to see it spent. That is such an idea that makes a lot of sense to me, but it requires um, handing over power to the community. But I want to be able to make decisions about where money goes in my district, in my city. We've seen so much um, discussion about the city budget these past few years. And what if we had participatory budgeting as a process to say, where do we want to see X amount of dollars um, going? Do we want to see a shift of dollars from here to here? Because what we know is that our budgets, whether it is for discretionary funds in district that council members hold or our city budgets, they are moral documents, they are demonstrating and telling the people what our priorities are mm-hmm. and who better to decide our priorities than the people themselves. Right, right. Is, is there a big project in the district you would like to... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yes. So, <laughs> so say so say you are uh, University District Common Council 
uh, member. Uh, what's what's a project that, that stands out to you that you'd like to get your hands on? Oh, my gosh. So there's so many things that I want to do. I'm so excited that you're excited and seeing all of this <laughs> excitement from me. Um, there's so many things that I want to do. So one of the big things, um, and I know that some of this is happening, but I want to start thinking about how we provide access to and this sounds so silly, but like water in our district Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of like um, the summertime is coming. We know that climate change is real um, and that it's just getting hotter and hotter. How do we provide additional access to splash pads? Is there opportunity to put pools? One of the things that I think about all the time is that we see drownings from children and adults. And so how do we provide a pool in district to start to begin that um, exposure, learning around swimming, providing that opportunity? I would love to see that. We actually lost a pool in Shoshone Park and there's going to be um, sort of a complex that's going to be multi-sport and very exciting indoor I'm not sure if a pool is going to be part of that but how amazing and I know that that sounds like such a simple thing but what joy does that bring and also kind of um not a necessity but set but it is a necessity in the summertime opportunities to cool off again investing in our parks and providing additional resources and amenities because we don't have any of that sort of stuff in district right now as someone who grew up swimming i believe that uh, learning knowing how to swim is an absolute human necessity saves a life exactly yeah exactly um you are one of four women running for a common council seat Is that it now? I thought there were more of us. Okay, no, that's okay. I believe it's four. (laughs) Uh, Well, there there hasn't been a woman in the Common Council in some time. Almost a decade. No time like the present to uh, shake up the old boys club? Most definitely. So uh, that's interesting because people often ask, uh, you know, why are you running? And... I've been I've been saying for so long that I haven't seen myself represented in my local government and not just because um, I'm a woman, but also thinking about my values and the way that I would like to engage with my government. So I just haven't seen that. And so for me, this is so necessary and so important. I would love um, to. I would have loved to have seen someone like me when I was little. And interestingly enough, I had um, I used to coach um, a girls' softball team on the west side of Buffalo, and one of my girls reached out to me recently and said, you are so inspiring to have somebody who coached me, who mentored me, to now be doing this, running for office. I can't believe that I know you, and this is amazing. You have made me believe that I can do whatever I want. And that is so powerful and so impactful. And I want more of that for more of us. Are there local politicians or anyone that has mentored you to get you to this point? (laughs) Um, I wish that I could say yes fully. Um, There's nobody who has formally mentored me. One of the things that I found out in my race in 2019, um, I actually ran for the same position, was that this is an incredibly protected process. 
Um, and it is not easy for somebody who is not endorsed by the party um, or who does not have connections to be able to make this happen. Um, I'm excited because not only did I do it in 2019, and I think that we were pretty successful, we actually got a little over a third of the vote for our first time out. Um, and it was a very small team, incredibly small. To be able to do it again, I am really hoping that people see how much heart is in this. Um, and I hope that they're willing to take a chance on change. I've been ex I've been happy to be able to look to others um, as examples, but no, I haven't had a formal mentor. What are you doing different this year as opposed to 2019? So that's really interesting. I can't give away all the secrets. No, 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 no. I'm not asking that. <laughs> I'm not asking that. No, <laughs> I think that um, there isn't very much that's different, which may sound like, why? Why would you not do mm -hmm. anything different? Um, one of the things that is true for me is that I want to be me in all of this. I want to make sure that I am absolutely authentic and that was true for the last race as well. And so people see that. And um, I believe that they believe me. The The response um, on the doors so far, and this is just sort of collecting signatures phase, getting your name on the ballot, has been so incredibly warm and so amazing. Um, we've had so many people who have been willing to volunteer, who have said, I can't wait for you to win. I mean, it's just been amazing. So really, it's- The coalition is growing. I mean, it is. So uh, we haven't changed a lot. We are continuing to lead with authenticity and this idea that we, the people, have the power. Thomas O'Neill White here with Catherine Franco, who is running for University District Common Council this year. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Catherine, a very broad question. What does Buffalo need? We're, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the 514 tragedy. We've had some really bad winter storms, which caused loss of life. Hope springs eternal, but... This city, this is a city that's been beaten down pretty bad. What does Buffalo need? Yeah, um, you can see that I've taken a pause there. Yes. Buffalo has gone through it. Um, particularly black Buffalo has gone through it. And so what does Buffalo need right now? I think that Buffalo really needs to hold on to that hope, to move forward in that, and to have not only the people to continue to do the amazing work that they do every day to make our city what it is, but I know that I'm in the position that I am right now because I think that we need elected leaders who are courageous and willing to do something different. We have just seen so much of the same um, and expecting different results. Again, I really think that it's time that we take a chance on change and, and imagine Imagine, imagine a Buffalo that we all know that we deserve um, and that is beautiful and vibrant and led by us and that it's possible to to think about something other than what we have right now. Do you sense that there is some impatience from residents in this city about with local politics? Yes, most definitely. Yes. Um, and I think that. I think that 514 pushed some of that impatience even more, uh, such a senseless loss of life and all of the facts that we knew 
about how and why um, a white supremacist came and targeted that neighborhood, those are not new facts. Those are not new stats. Mm -hmm. We continue, as we talk sort of at the top of this, um, to talk about the Main Street divide, to talk about how over 80% of black Buffalonians live on the east side of Buffalo. These are not new things. Um, Buffalo continuously ranks as one of the most segregated and poorest in the nation. And yet, what have we done to address the root causes of racism, of poverty in our city? Um, so I think that the impatience is there because we've seen it take so much from us. And on that note, Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Listen to Buffalo What's Next weekday mornings at 10 a.m. on WBFO or on the WBFO app. Use the Talk To Us feature to leave your questions and comments. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk To Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO your NPR station. This is Buffalo What's Next, and today uh, we're going to talk about the Ellicott District in the city of Buffalo. The Common Council race is up for grabs uh, after uh, the current member of the uh, Common Council and Council President Darius Pridgen announced uh, that he would not be running for re-election. So since then, we've heard of uh, various candidates putting their hats into the ring, so to speak. Matt Deering is one of them, and he joins us today. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Jay. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, let's. I want to get into a lot of different things if I can here in a, our 20-minute time. And I want to just, let's talk about the way the Ellicott District is drawn. Describe it for me right now, because I think there's an impression of what the Ellicott District is, but the way that line has been drawn, it takes us into some other neighborhoods that a lot of people wouldn't think are necessarily Ellicott District. That's very true. Uh, the most recent redistricting from last year has expanded uh, the electorate a bit. It used to almost entirely be concentrated to the east of Main Street with just a few election districts to the west, uh, pretty much where I live on Linwood Avenue. Uh, but now it's extended quite a bit over to include parts of Elmwood from uh, Lafayette all the way to Summer, and then there's a small block of Ashland and Norwood between like Utica and Summer, and then it goes all the way, you know, essentially to Ferry and Bailey through the Genesee Moselle neighborhood, uh, all the way to the Perry Projects, and um, back to Ferry Street where I grew up. How granular do you have to get when it comes to this election? What what are you getting down into the weeds about when it comes to the Ellicott District? Well, for me, the most important thing is having my ear to the ground and figuring out what the people in the different neighborhoods need. And it's it's sort of shocking how similar a lot of the concerns are. Okay. Um, the people, obviously, to the east of Main Street, they have deep concerns about food insecurity and a lack of access. Um, the legacy of the discriminatory policies that came down from the federal, state, and state governments, whether it was the redlining, the blockbusting, and then the urban renewal that followed. Uh, but 
everybody is talking about wanting safer, cleaner communities, regardless of if it's the people in Elmwood or if it's the people uh, in the Fruit Belt. You know, they want to make sure that the new neighbors that they have are respecting the legacies that they've built for their families um, and want to make sure that the foundation that they've built is one that can stand the test of time as change continues to come to the city. Interesting that you say safer, cleaner communities. I think we understand what we're talking about when it comes to safety for the most part. Maybe we can get into that a little bit, but I want to the cleaner. Let's talk, talk about that just a little bit. I know this may sound like a kind of a, a small part of what could be larger issues in the city of Buffalo, but I'm interested that you mentioned that cleaner. What are we talking about here? I think that there is, again, going back to that respect piece, there are new neighbors that have come in, particularly um, the medical campus is one of them, um, who seem to be, at least the the people who spend a lot of time there who aren't residents, seem to have a, a lack of respect, frankly, for the neighborhoods. And, you know, just from talking to folks in the fruit belt right next to the medical campus, they say, oh, you know, there's a lot of trash that comes from the campus. They're just sort of, whether it's cigarette butts or, you know, just general refuse that's here. And then you go over to the Elmwood Village and they talk about the same sorts of things. Um, I spoke with a lady on Riley Street a couple weeks ago um, who said, you know, I'm tired of folks who are, you know, going to the bathroom on the street corner and then going into the store to hang out. Um, just like there's a lot of quality of life stuff that I think is being ignored or just not paid attention to by the council right now in general. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for somebody in city government to present a solution to a lot of those problems. Folks everywhere, much to the chagrin of some of the folks who are more likely to agree with me, are saying, you know, we might need more police patrols in this neighborhood. Um, and how do we improve public safety? while improving relationships between the community and the police at the same time, maybe while saving money in the police department. You know, that's part of the, been part of the conversation that I've been having with people. How do we all work together to come to the table to achieve some of these goals just to, you know, make our lives better on a day-to-day basis? In recent times in the city of Buffalo, uh, and maybe it's always been like this to a certain extent, it seems that there's a certain coming out of the city government from the mayor down to the council, they seem to be somewhat lockstep. I'm sure I probably get a little bit of pushback from some folks about that. Um, So what can one council member from the Ellicott District do to change that? I think my position that I have, I think coming sort of as an independent voice in the race and a truly independent voice not connected to any political faction or, uh, you know, historically entrenched organization is that I have a willingness to call attention to issues in a manner that is fact-based and it comes from a place of good faith because, again, I think most of us, if we're in government for the right reasons, we just want to make the lives of the people who we represent or work for better. Um, And that's going to require a willingness to call attention to a problem, address a poor decision that's been made. Um, And I've, you know, been willing to do that before in my time in government, and it's something that I'll I'll continue to do and do it in a way that's free of vitriol and um, some of the stuff that I think our politics is unfortunately mired with these days. But my experience doing constituent services in the state assembly, I think, is the biggest asset that I have. Every day it was a person came into the office and they brought 
whether it was a problem with government or a problem with a landlord, I would sort of put myself in between the two and try to bring a, a resolution to the problem. There were situations like that that I dealt with every day, and I worked really hard to do that. Um, and I would love to get a chance to do that for the people you know, who I grew up with in the Ellicott District. So it sounds as if uh, you're advocating that you are going to be almost a bit of a foot soldier inside that district. Do you, th- I mean, whether it's the Ellicott District or other districts, you know the city, I mean, is that something that's lacking from council members? I think it's lacking from some and not from others. I mean, the thing that I do hear when I'm out on the doors more than anything else is that they don't see government working day to day in their lives. People talk in the Ellicott District, they talk about council member Pitts and said, you know, he would always, we would see him at the market. We'd see him on the street. We'd see him around all the time. And we just don't see our representative anymore. A big thing that I've talked about and I'm trying to dig into what my office budget would be to do something like this is that I'd like to have an in-district office for the council, uh, for my council office. Because, you know, when I worked in the assembly, we were actually in the community. I didn't spend any time in Albany. And I don't like the fact that to get access to your, your city council member, who is sort of the, you're supposed to be your closest in all of government, your closest representative. I don't like the fact that you have to get on a bus and go downtown and go through a metal detector just to talk to them, just to go to their office where they may not even be or where oftentimes they aren't. Um, and if I had the opportunity to have an office like that, I you know, would have a commitment at least once a week where myself and my staff would be there from nine to five for people to come in and you know, it might be that they're having a problem. Maybe they just need a cup of coffee and they want to talk to somebody um, who cares about the problems that they're facing. And I think uh, there's an opportunity to create a culture in the council through that that, you know, sort of teaches civics through civil service, which I think is an important thing. We were talking about voter turnout before we came on the air. In some parts of this district, the voter turnout is abysmal. And I think a large part of it is because they're just not paid attention to, and they don't see that day-to-day work uh, of government, particularly in a government capacity. You also use the term uh, fact-based, fact-based solutions. So you must have some facts about the city that you think need to be addressed. Take the moment to give us some of those facts. I think the biggest one is the, uh, particularly citywide, is the lack of availability of housing. I mean, it's something that I know that when Council President Pridgen was on this program in February, just after he announced he wasn't going to run again, that he said was his top issue to tackle before his time on the council ends. I believe that the occupancy rate in the city right now is 98%, which you know, you know anything about markets means that the price is only going to keep going up until we either bring more or implement some kind of you know measure to mitigate these increases. Um, I think that's the biggest one. Obviously, the lack of access to fresh and healthy food on the east side is the other one. I mean, you know, thank God we do have tops right now, but uh, these funds that are coming from the state to open another grocery store are going to be really vital. Um, and you know, again, I think there's. There's a lot of infighting that goes on on who should get the money to do this project, who should get the money to do that project. And there's a lot of ties that folks have that that bind them together and also bind their ability to make an objective decision. And again, I think some of the independence I have is whoever comes to me with the best solution, everybody's got a seat at the table. I don't care who you are. I don't know, care where you're coming from. As long as you've got the best solution that's going to get the results that we need, then that's what I'm going to put my energy behind. 
Housing is a, a huge issue. It's not just here in the city of Buffalo, but it's, it's a national one. It's a national issue for sure. Um, and of course, we have this concern here in Buffalo, and I think, as you just said, 98% occupancy rate. Uh, that's going to spell very difficult times for, for, for families and lots of people as well. What can the city do? I mean, other than, like you said, build more housing, but what about protecting these people who are, you know, and you know, we know about poverty, we know about the difficulties that that, that presents. Some people are just one, you know, car pain, you know, one car problem away from a, an issue, one health issue away from, you know, their pay to, uh, paycheck to paycheck existence will fade. What can we do to help them? Yeah, I think the statistic is something like 70 plus percent of people don't have more than $400 in their bank account. I mean, again, if we're going to get real about it, if we actually care about the people who are in this housing and we want them to be able to stay there, rent control or something like rent control has got to be part of the conversation. Um, it can't be the only answer. Um, I think any problem that's as dire as this one, you have to attack it from both ends. Um, and if you only do rent control, then down the road that will present other problems where, again, the supply of housing will continue to be restricted. So we have to open the mark. We have to open the market up at the same time. I think we may have to look at things to allow more dense development, which I think will have a lot of positive effects going forward in the future. Maybe not in five years, but in fifteen or twenty years, you know, that'll help us to create a more resilient. Uh, public transit system uh, that, you know, the, take away the excuse the NFTA uses a lot that, oh, it's not dense enough, there's not enough right. traffic. So I think we're going to have to, it's, a, it's almost any problem in government, the truth is it takes a multi-pronged approach. There's no panacea out there. Um, but if keeping people in the housing that they're in is important right now, then rent control or something like it does have to be, it has to be part of the conversation. If it could be avoided, if the market really worked, then you know, don't do it. But it seems that there's a need for it right now. There are other issues, I think, restricting um, the supply. There are other externalities, you could call them. I think we have a problem with out-of-area landlords who are purchasing properties and turning them into Airbnbs. I get that maybe a, a split, you know, house is two units, but, you know, two, three-bedroom units, if you do that 50 or 60 times across the city, you know, that that's a significant uh, a significant reduction in, in availability. Um, so I think that we may have to look at cracking down on some of those sorts of practices. There's a lot of underutilized property. There's a house around the corner from me right now that I'd love to buy and renovate, but the guy's been sitting on it and it's been rotting for four years. Mm. He wants $150,000 for it. And, you know, I think we might have to crack down on some of that, too. Matt Deering is our guest uh, this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Matt Deering is running for the uh, Ellicott District Common Council seat here in the city of Buffalo, long held by Darius Pridgen, the current council president, who announced earlier this year that he is not running for re-election. Matt Deering, why do you want to be on the council? Well, I think anybody who runs for office, you have to be a little bit crazy, <laughs> to be honest. Um but, you know, I have a, a family, a legacy that, you know, it comes from really my, my dad's father um, of public service. Um, and I think, again, I think this was something we talked about off air, Jay, but we need more people in government who truly operate in, in good faith, um, who aren't out for one side or another, and who lead with sort of with empathy instead of ego, you know, and they are looking to the future with a respect for the past and I look to the future as a as a young candidate, especially not just for young people like me, but 
to say, how do we protect the legacies of the people, you know, like my mom who came here, you know, after being born and growing up in a three-room house in West Virginia with a dirt floor, you know, how do I protect the legacy that she built, the legacies that the parents of my friends that I went to high school have built, and how do we use that legacy to build a stronger foundation for our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, and make sure that this is a place where we can watch our families grow and, and know that for generations to come, Buffalo is still going to be ours. You walked me right into my question, and that is, we can talk about the problems of Buffalo, and they're obvious, and we've touched upon a few of them. What's so good about Buffalo? <laughs> you know, it really is the people. I was one of these kids, I think a lot of people my age, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, all we did every day was think about how the heck we were going to get out of this place. I mean, I went to Wisconsin for a couple years to go to college, then ended up in a town that's not really so different than this one anyway. Um, and then I came back and really got to spend time outside of the insular part of it, the private school thing that I was in. And I got to know just the people here. And they're, as everybody says, we're hardworking, decent, and we have a high tolerance for suffering. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of potential here. And I think it's something that gets missed by a lot of the people in government. And I think looking down the road <clears throat> to say at the turn of the next century, Where's Buffalo going to be in 2100? We spent a lot of time, especially when I was a kid, coming up to the centennial of the Pan Am, talking about, oh, Buffalo in 1901 and, you know, this city of lights that was the eighth, eighth biggest city in the world. And I think, again, respecting that legacy can be done while we look forward and say, what changes can we make so that in 2100, that Buffalo is in the same position that we were in, you know, I guess at that point, it'll be 200 years prior. Um, and, and I think some of the decisions that are going to come in the next five years are going to make sure that we can hit that target. Or if we don't make them, you know, we might miss it. The, uh, when it comes to politics, what do they say? Local is everything, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the thing. So, but I'm curious, just maybe your, your perspective on this. We can talk about Ellicott District issues but how do you mesh it with, like you said, a greater vision for Buffalo? I think, you know, that, that's something that I've talked about both on the campaign trail and, and in some other conversations I've had with people is that I do think people on the council have a bit of a parochial approach to things because this isn't like Congress where two Democrats are separate, you know, where Congressman Higgins and Congressman Morelli are separated by, you know, Nick Langworthy anymore and hundreds of hundreds of miles of expanse, one district truly stops where the next one starts. And I think that not already coming to the race and coming into government with uh, ability to take a 10,000-foot view um, is, an, is an asset that I have in, in particular. But I'm willing to work with, again, like I said earlier, I'm willing to work with anybody who shares the same goals to get to those results. And the results are what motivate me at the end of the day because you're right, Ellicott District faces some unique issues, but the housing problem is the biggest issue that faces the city regardless of what neighborhood you're living in. Um, the effects of climate change and snow removal affect everybody regardless of what district that, that you're living in. The fact that 
our fire services and their equipment are not up to snuff right now. And it seems like that's something that's fallen um, by the wayside. That affects everybody, regardless of what district that you live in. Those are the issues that the campaign is about for me. And then I think the specific issues are where that constituent services mindset that I have is going going to benefit me in that more parochial uh, approach. So the big issues, when you pass legislation in the city, you don't pass legislation for one district or another. It affects the entire city. Um, so if you're willing to start from that position and then recognize that the local, the more local work that you do is going to be that constituent, you know, those constituent issues, that on the ground, ear to the ground sort of stuff. I think that's how you sort of unify those two things. You kind of took away my opportunity that I was going to give you at the end of our conversation to give us your uh, your final say. So you know, I think you just did that. So I, what I want to ask then, <laughs> since you did bring it up though, it, it always it sounds. I suppose from outside looking in, it sounds like a small issue, snow removal, but it's not a small issue, and it's not just a, a street by street issue, is it? No, it's not. It's um, it's a it's a citywide problem, and again, it's not just the the. Blizzard. What's been lacking in the in the approach to it? I think we're using a 20th century snow removal strategy for 21st century problems. And, you know, the effects of climate change, I think, are going to continue. This is all conjecture, but the metro area seems to have been getting worse and worse snow over the past four and five years. Somehow the winters are warmer, but the snow is more extreme when it does come. Um, And I think that, you know, we may have to look to some of these other cities, like whether it's Montreal or even you look at how they clear a mountain pass in Lake Tahoe. We may have to get new equipment. We can't just keep pushing this stuff everywhere because it seems like there's just going to be too much of it to move around. We've got a lot of narrow one-way streets. Alternate parking doesn't matter when all you can do is send a plow down, and now you've got an 8-, 9-, 10-foot wall of ice at that point blocking your car in bus routes are being changed constantly you know and obviously being stuck in your house for a week and not being able to do anything or get groceries it's pretty awful um so i think we are going to have to modernize our snow fighting fleet i guess is sort of what i've been calling it um and i think also as we go forward we have to think about how the city is designed and and how people uh, traverse the city and find other ways um, that maybe will require over time less and less of this heavy equipment. You know, I think if we had a more walkable city, for instance, or better public transit, I think, you know, a lot less people would have been out on those days because you're a heck of a lot less likely to try to walk to a bus stop than you are to uh, get in your car when you know you can blast the heat. So again, you know, I know this is a, it's going to be a long term, it's a long term goal, but it's something that you have to have an appreciation for. And as much as we say um, that our snow removal plan is made to address normal snowfall and not blizzards, it seems like we're going to get a lot more blizzard-like conditions as it goes forward. So we're going to have to change course. Matt Deering wants to change course. He's uh, a candidate for the uh, Ellicott District Common Council seat. He joins us here on Buffalo What's Next. Matt Deering, hopefully we can uh, talk to you again down the road. I certainly hope to have more opportunities, Jay. Thanks for the conversation. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.